Welcome to the MI Hunting Podcast. In this episode, diving into there's no such thing as an off season when it comes to the outdoors. Hello again and welcome to the MI Hunting Podcast. So yeah, so this episode is going to be a little bit more relaxed, not really going to dive into any major issues or anything like that. Uh, this is just going to be me talking here and it's really just, just going over some thoughts I've been, you know, just going over for the past hunting season and looking forward to this upcoming season coming up. So, you know, really it is come down to where, you know, hunting, especially deer hunting is on my mind year round. You know, in years past, there's been times where, you know, once the deer season was over, I really put it out of my mind and took a break from it all. But as I'm getting more and more into it, that time frame of wanting a break from from it is decreasing to where, you know, even this past year, I've already, you know, looking into, you know, a lot of different things really where... Now, even before the season was over, I was already scouting potentially new spots for this year. And then I've just been reflecting on over the past couple months since deer season's been over as things that, you know, really just reflecting on how the season went and do I consider it a success or, you know, what went well and what went wrong essentially. So, so for me in my season, I would say, I would say it was a good season did I harvest uh, a buck on public land like that was my goal for the year? I didn't. But it wasn't for lack of trying and it wasn't for lack of, you know, potential encounters or potential opportunities. So I will say, you know, a couple of the things I did wrong early on during deer season was I relied too heavy, heavily on trying to hunt around a marsh area that, you know, initially I thought there was enough sign there, you know, indicating that the deer were there. When it wasn't, it wasn't really the case, you know, and I spent the first couple of weeks of the season hunting around that area before I finally decided to pull the plug and move from that spot. And then I ended up, you know, kind of the spot that I chose that I wanted to, you know, try that I had scouted that had some potential. You know, my very first sit there, I ended up having an encounter with a really nice buck and tried hunting around that area a few other times and had a couple other encounters with that buck as well, but never... Never got him within a comfortable range for me, so I ended up uh, not harvesting that buck. But the fact that, you know, a spot that I had previously scouted and marked, you know, a pin as a potential spot and had it actually right away producing deer in the area, um, I was quite happy with that, you know, that part of my scouting was a success of, of being able to locate, you know, good spots. And I was able to fill the freezer up uh, with a couple of does and then from the deer that I got out in South Dakota. So I'm actually looking into coming into this next potential season of, you know, still having some venison still in the freezer. So, you know, some of that pressure of trying to get that freezer filled right away, you know, I hope that it's not going to uh, really be there for me, at least beginning of the season where, you know, just knowing that, you know, I've still got some meat in the freezer where I can kind of enjoy it a little bit more. And then looking at some things to improve on. One of the biggest things 
looking into this next season is doing a lot more scouting, which I feel like I've gotten a pretty good jump on. You know, I went into last season thinking that I had done some sufficient scouting. I didn't do a lot of postseason scouting last year, and I really didn't get into scouting until probably late summer where, you know, I kind of was in that mindset of, you know, why bother scouting now when, you know, potentially those deer aren't going to be moving off of their summer ranges or summer, you know, patterns and moving into more of their fall far you know fall areas and i think i made a mistake in that regard where you know i should have been continuously scouting or you know doing more observation scouting of you know checking those field edges and getting a better idea of the type of deer that were in the areas that i was you know looking at so for scouting wise doing a couple different things expanding on the areas that i hunted last year so for example the area that i had those encounters with the buck you know, it was kind of somewhat surprising that I was getting encounters with the buck where I was. It was essentially in an area where it was an older clear cut that was still relatively open. And the time frame of that buck was there, you know, well after sunrise. I was surprised that to catch him coming through at the time he was. I figured he would have been more into the cover by that time frame. But I ended up hunting that little clear cut area because that's where I was having the encounters. But then once once I was able to come back from trip, then it kind of seemed like that deer had disappeared. So he either got killed or moved moved on to another location. So I ended up doing some more scouting, basically into the timber where he was heading, where he came from one time. And then also basically scouting the other end of that clear cut. Now, having scouted the, the timber, there is another bit of like an opening and a bit of a hilltop where I was able to find some some rubs and whatnot now again with it being the time of year you know the ground still covered with snow so didn't find any you know signs of, sc- of scrapes or anything like that now there was a couple of areas where I marked to recheck once the sl- snow melts and see if there's any scrapes because uh, they look like likely areas where areas that you know I may even build some mock scrapes or something like that if there's not a scrape RA or a historical scrape there. But really, um, even after scouting that, you know, that may be a potential spot further back there. But honestly, you know, where I initially found that buck or saw that buck, you know, that's really, I think, the best spot really to to hunt, you know, right on the edge of that clear cut. Because looking at a lot of the trails that run through there, there's one main trail out of those that wooded area and it comes right up to where I saw that buck. So for a travel corridor, that seems to be the most logical spot and with the most sign. But it's good to be able to expand on that a little bit of you know, knowing a little bit further of where that deer potentially is coming from and if there's a better spot to ambush them. So that's one one thing I've been focusing on with some of this very early scouting, winter scouting, I guess I should say, and then also exploring new areas. Or actually, let me back up a little bit here. So there was another time I went out. This is a completely different property. This is out on some federal land. And this is an area that I've hunted a handful of times over the past few years, and it's it's quite a bit different terrain than what I'm usually comfortable with hunting. 
it ends up, you know, basically you've got really three different types of terrain you're dealing with. You've got the lowland kind of swamp area, and then you've got some major hills, you know, heavy ridges that really, that really intersect. And there's, you know, multiple layers of ridges and hilltops and valleys that cut through it. And then you've got a lowland area where it's really more, I guess, kind of like more piney, really small grasses in there. So it's one thing that I've been trying to focus on is trying to figure out exactly where these deer are. And I've learned that it's really, it changes quite a bit throughout the course of the year as well. But I'm learning that the bulk of the the deer movement anyways is in either on those ridges or back in that lowland area. So I'm from a, a area that I found last year that I found a few signs of bucks and looks like some doe bedding in the area. I went back there just this other week and really walked it. And that was actually quite fun because I ended up breaking it up. I brought brought the 22 along to do some small game hunting miles out there. Brought a predator call, um, you know, potentially doing some coyote hunting while I was out there too. Now, when I was out there, I was out there for several hours and didn't see a single squirrel. I did end up coming across a coyote track, so I ended up following that a little bit, just kind of seeing kind of where that where that coyote was going and what his travel routes were. And it was pretty cool because I ended up, ended up finding where it had made a kill in the snow, so it looks like it must have dug up you know, some type of rodent or something like that because uh, you can see where it dug up the snow. And there's a little bit of blood there, so it clearly got whatever it was after. And proceeded to follow that a little bit more. And ended up coming across where it had bedded down next to this log. And I had, I'm assuming it was me that spooked it because, you know, there were some very fresh tracks and they were taking off like a bat out of hell. So it was kind of cool to be able to get on that track and, you know, kind of follow that along and see that travel route. You know, it really... It was almost uh, predictable of the fact that it was just run along the game trail where there's multiple deer tracks as well, where it was a pretty well beat down path of, you know, movement of animals there. And the fact that it pretty much just ran that same path as well. So I kind of made a mental note of that uh, for if I want to do some predator hunting of kind of those areas where I learned that, you know, those coyotes are running a lot of those major game trails that all the other critters are on. So, and then I end up kind of getting distracted by doing just some regular old deer scouting. So I got on some of those game trails and just were following, kind of looking for some fresh tracks, see if there's anything uh, with some size to it or anything that was, you know, fresh within the, the past day. Did get on a track and then, and ended up following up and, you know, basically ended up getting within about 80 yards of a deer having followed his track so that was pretty cool of being able to you know still with the snow there's snow on the ground to be able to kind of hone in that tracking skill a little bit of being able to follow track and the fact that i was able to catch up to that deer you know i was pretty pretty excited about that you know the deer ended up standing up and looking back and kind of saw me but didn't i don't think really realize exactly what i was or still trying to figure it out so I was able to just kind of kneel down and kind of wait behind a tree and then I ended up trying to creep up about another 20 yards or so and then just got about where I was going to pause again and ended up catching my foot on a stick this 
stick snapped and the deer ran off. But so that was a cool encounter. You know, certainly, you know, had that thought in my head of, you know, if that was deer in season, that there was a good possibility that I would have gotten a shot at that deer. So that was a cool, cool thing and kind of a nice little, you know, confidence booster. Uh, just getting a little bit more practice of doing that tracking because that's that's one thing I really want to be able to hone in skill wise as well to you know really get good at being able to track deer and track them down and you know hunt them in that way essentially but then ultimately ended up back up to an area where I had found some previous deer sign and ended up really just finding a really nice rub line and essentially what ended up happening was after going through this area and realizing that in this valley basically you know the bucks are running basically a circuit around the base of this ridge and create kind of like a U shape um, as they go around because that's where all the sign basically follows along the the base of that hill so it's something that you know I can really focus on uh, if I decide to want to hunt out there this next season of being able to know that you know that's a really good spot to kind of start you know knowing that deer are really going to be traveling um, pretty predictably um, along along that valley along those major trails there and then of course while I was out there hoping to stumble upon a shed and ended up again going out just the other day and doing some more of that scouting as well and more or less kind of hoping to find some sheds and took my dog out with me and but uh it was a good walk we but we didn't find any sheds again i'm hoping for once that snow melts off a little bit more can go into a little bit more because that's another big goal of mine to be able to try to find sheds in one of these areas that i like to hunt and that's one thing too about you know with these scouting trips and getting out you know i am trying to you know kind of make it to where it's not just about the deer hunting just really about getting getting out in the woods so I've been taking the 22 along, you know, doing some small game if I come across any squirrels or rabbits or anything like that. And really just kind of enjoying exploring and learning the areas a little bit more. And then of course, you know, with, you know, getting outside of deer hunting, you know, it's been, you know, the ice has been terrific for ice fishing. So I've been getting out and doing that with the kids. Again, been, it's been interesting because this is really the first year of ice fishing since pretty much since i was a kid uh so it's been quite a bit of learning and trial and error trying to you know figure out you know when and where to go fishing at so we've just been pretty much just going off of kind of historical places of where people have been catching fish and where we've historically caught fish but it's been great been able to get the the kids out you know i've talked about this before where you know, my girls, I don't know how much into hunting they're going to be, but they are definitely big into fishing. They have they love going out fishing during the summer, and when they heard that we could potentially go out ice fishing here, they were all about it. So we ended up getting them a couple rods, and then they thought that was fun, but they really liked the idea of catching some big old fish on a tip-up. So we ended up getting them each couple of tip-ups and we pretty much just kind of hang out in the shanty and watch for flags to go up and just kind of hang out and chill out on the ice and daughter ended up catching her first pike on a tip-up so it would have been a little bit more enjoyable but we were trying to hurry it along because it was really cold the day we were out uh so 
didn't, weren't able to enjoy it quite as much. We basically got the fish out of the water, got it unhooked, got a quick picture, got it back in the water, and then raced back off the shanty to go warm up. But the weather's looking good for tomorrow, so we're probably going to, after church, head out and head out to the lake and try doing some afternoon fishing again with some nice warmer weather with hopefully some nice sunny skies and be able to just hang out and relax, not be too cold while doing it. So it's another one of those things where just really trying to enjoy the winter activities and not just be so hooked on deer hunting that, you know, you don't take the time to do those other types of activities or really just not end up not taking advantage of it. And then next, the big thing that's on my mind, you know, having some private ground to be able to hunt, start thinking about some of the habitat improvement and what the game plan will be for this upcoming year. So one thing that I did last year, um, or actually last January through February, was I cleared an area where there's a bunch of trees that were falling down and dying. And I ended up clearing probably about a half acre worth of a lot of dead ash. I was that was in that corner of the property there. And then also took down a lot of uh, some of the bigger poplar trees that you know were leaners or looked like they were you know basically starting to get hollowed out in the inside. You know, they just weren't looking very healthy. So I ended up cutting a bunch of those down, opening up the canopy quite a bit. And, you know, it really, it really thickened up in there. It ended up giving a lot more browse for the deer, which as soon as green up hit and some of that browse starts, you know, coming up and starting to grow, they started really hammering to some of those new shoots. And it really started to thicken up in there to where I noticed that deer were actually bedding in it more and wasn't so much as open woods like it was uh, before I took a lot of those mature trees out. So the goal is hopefully this year, uh, hopefully within the next month or so, to go through and do the same thing in either two to three more spots of just trying to take out some of those old uh, dead or dying trees and really, again, opening up that canopy, letting the sunlight get to the ground to let a lot of new growth come in. No, I'm starting to catch on or starting to get on board with the idea that, uh, you know, doing this timber stand improvements or, you know, opening or doing clear cuts within timber, I guess buy into the benefits that that creates for wildlife. You know, by creating some of that diversity and some of that mature timber, it really breaks it up. It gives more cover and food to the animals. I'm really starting to see the benefit of it. So what I'm going to end up doing is going through and working on creating some thick cover areas and hopefully be able to put them in areas where deer will utilize them as bedding areas as well. So I'm going to try to strategically place them to where, you know, even especially during the the season, it allows more uh, bedding areas for the deer to potentially bed more on the property instead of on the adjacent properties like they've done in the past and then also hopefully create you know if this end up being doe bedding areas where these are going to be areas that bucks are going to be more apt to check during the rut so more or less in the covered area have it be on essentially one end to the other to where they have to check one side and then they have to cross across the property and check the other side or check the other areas as well that's hopefully going to make it to where they run the kind of their circuit around the property and they stick around a little bit longer and trying to hunt down those does. And one nice thing about doing that type of work, you know, especially if you've already got a chainsaw, it's relatively cheap 
improvements to make on the land. You know, and then depending on the you know the type of timber you're doing or cutting down or working with, you know, you can even you can even you know make that beneficial. It's where if it's uh, you know some some timber that's got some value to it, you can sell it. You know, in regards of you know having you know taken to the sawmill or cut it up for firewood, and then some of those other non desirables, you know, you can just cut them down and just have them built as or have them just act as you know cover. You can do hinge cuts on certain types of trees. So if you got some of those trees that are kind of that more mid story type tree. You know, cut partway through those, knock them down, and create a couple of hinge cuts as well. As long as you don't cut through the tree too much, it could potentially sprout back, adding new shoots that are within reach of deer and other critters. And a couple of things with that. So for chainsaws, uh, a couple of things I learned, you know, kind of my first year of really doing some heavy cutting. First off, you want one really good high-powered chainsaw. I end up getting one with one of the 20-inch bars on it so I can cut through some of those bigger trees with a little bit more ease. Just makes it a little bit faster. Now, those more powerful chainsaws are going to be a little bit heavier. And depending on what brand you go with, they're going to be more expensive as well. But but really, I highly encourage getting, well, essentially, I end up getting the Echo Timberwolf. It's a 59cc. You know, I ran into no issue with it bogging down on some of the bigger trees. I've been very happy with it. So something with a little bit more uh, power to it, I would highly recommend. And then secondly, you want, I highly encourage you to also get a backup chainsaw. Certainly this one doesn't have to be nearly as powerful or you know, a high end price point on this one. That backup chainsaw is just to make sure that if you get hung up or if that chainsaw gets pinched in a log or in the tree, that you have that other saw available to potentially help cut that your saw out because otherwise you know before i started bringing along my older chainsaw i did get it pinched up a couple times and it's quite a chore trying to get them out especially trying to get them out safely so that was the other recommendation and of course always make sure that especially if you're falling timber that you do have a helmet on you know the last thing you want is to have a branch or a dead branch fall or something get hung up and fall and then end up falling and falling on your top of your head. And then always make sure that you're wearing your protective chaps or pants. You know, it doesn't take much for a saw to kick back at you or just a little bit lax of your attention of where that that bar is or if the chain's still running and you catch yourself in the leg or something like that. It doesn't take much of a cut if it cuts the right area, if, it, if you catch an artery with that. You can be in a world of hurt really quickly. So the other thing that I do right in one of the pockets in my chaps, I have a tourniquet just for safe safeguard. You know, it's kind of one of those things that, you know, it's kind of nice to have in my pocket just knowing that because it's in my pocket, I'll probably never need it. But in the event that if I ever do, well, something that could potentially save my life, always make sure you do have some safety equipment with you and stuff for first aid, uh, the pack in your bag as well. So that's it on my kind of my safety spiel about that and kind of some things to think about if you're looking to get into you know doing some some timber work now next thing i've been really thinking about especially with how things have been going with the economy you know everything's getting more expensive i've you know been seeing that the 
price for glyphosate is going up, so Roundup's going to be more expensive. The pricing for fertilizer is going up, and I imagine seed, depending on what you're getting, is going up as well. That's one thing I haven't checked into, but I imagine the price of that has gone up as well, along with everything else that has. So a couple of different things that I've been thinking about in that regard. So one of the first ones is that I am glad that I've been doing more with working with no-till type practices and ultimately helping to build up my soil quality by doing cover crops and trying to really build that up and making sure that you know I'm getting nutrients back into the ground. So that's one thing that I've been doing over the past couple of years. So, and I've noticed over the past couple of years as well, every year I'm needing to put less and less inputs into the soil. So if, if you've been doing those types of practices as well, you're probably going to save a little bit on the wallet. So a couple different things that you can do again, by having, by doing a no-till type style, you can kind of save on, well, two things really. One, I've noticed that I've saved on the, the amount of fertilizer I'm needing. And then also by basically broadcasting the seed in and then terminating whatever's growing on top, you can use that as a mulch and kind of like a slow release fertilizer. And again, with some of those plants, you know, you're not going to get a ton of nutrients back into the soil from it, but it does help cut down on some of the potential. So depending on what you have, in the ground already there'll be certain you know minerals and whatnot that you won't have to add into it one of the big ones that i came across was when i was been planting buckwheat in as my summer cover crop that ends up being quite high in phosphorus so i actually noticed that when it came time to do my soil sample that my phosphorus was actually up quite a bit so you can actually manipulate the type of plants that you put in to help kind of boost certain minerals in there and help you out and then that's growing season to try to minimize how much fertilizer you need to put down. And again, by having that mulch layer on top of your seeds, that can help you out if it becomes a dry season, you know, just helps hold in that, that moisture and helps keep that soil temperature at a more consistent level as well. And then of course, by not having to go through and disc through everything beforehand, you know, you're saving on man hours as well as you know basically fuel costs and wear and tear on equipment and then the other thing you know depending on how big of an operation for food plotting or if you do crop fields and whatnot there's a very good chance that you may want to consider even downsizing a little bit of how big of an area that you're planting now i for one certainly am not looking at really downsizing i'm actually expanding what i'm planting so that kind of goes against my own recommendation here but but if you have uh, quite a large area, you know, you may be able to cut an acre or two out of your program um, and still get a pretty good result um, and just save a little bit on the amount of seed and fertilizer that you need to expend on. And then even kind of one thing that you can take in consideration too is doing more of a perennial food plot. You know, if you have one already established, then you're already ahead of the game of being able to save money in that regard it's really once you've got it established it's really just maintenance at that point so depending on what you got you do some mowing for like clover and alfalfa and chicory and stuff like that if you have any weeds come up you can go through and spot treat them so instead of having to treat the entire field you can just go through treat problem areas 
and really maintain playing that plot. And again, with it being a perennial, you'll have it for multiple years before you really even have to consider replanting. And you can extend that out until maybe prices go down or you want to change it up, do something a little bit different with it. The other one that I've looked into, well, it kind of started last year and then wanting to expand on it again this year is looking at the different types of seeds that are available and finding ones that are a little bit more cost effective. So for a good example would be uh, is corn. You know, corn is one of those staple, you know, crops you can put in the ground, but it's not cheap. And I imagine this year it's not, it's going to be even more expensive. So especially if you're just doing it for food plot or recreational planning, you know, corn may not be a cost effective thing to put down. So one thing that I've been starting to change over and planting instead of corn is Milo. Now Milo actually grows up and looks quite similar to corn. Um, so if you see it growing, it actually um, goes with that single stalk and that kind of like that drooping leaf like corn does. But instead of developing ears, it has a big, essentially, well, bulb on top that's full of seeds. And having planted that the past couple of years, you know, deer and other critters will, once those seeds start to dry out a little bit, they will, they will eat them. They'll reach up to the top of the plant or bend it down and eat eat those grain heads that are top of that plant. So may not have as much of a draw as corn or may not last quite as long, but it is a good attractant and similar plant structure as corn is. And it's quite a bit cheaper as well. So that's one thing I've used in the past. And that's just one example of a type of, you know, plant that you can kind of supplement out or substitute out from what you've planted previously. And there's some other things out there too. Like I've had great success with planting buckwheat. Now, typically I plant that, you know, end of May, 1st of June. While it's growing, while it's flowering and whatnot, the deer really enjoy it, eating that fresh green or fresh growth out of it. You know, there'll be spots in the area that I plant where, you know, certainly there'll be parts of the buckwheat that doesn't get touched, but some areas when they first, you know, come to the field edge, that a lot of those areas can get browsed down. You really notice that they've been eating it pretty heavily. And then last year was the first year where I actually left some of that buckwheat standing on the edges of the field. And same thing, kind of when, when those seeds start to mature and they start to harden, then the critters really start to hammer those and the deer will eat the tops of those buckwheat plants where those seed heads are and eat those as well. And then going to go into a little bit more of planting some more sun hemp this year. Again, same thing. I'm trying to supplement that as part of my cover crop as well as see a little bit about how much the deer in my area or in the area, I guess I should say, um, if they desire that or not. I've read that the deer will eat it while it's growing, that once it ends up going to seed, it kind of loses some of its uh, attraction. So I am going to end up planting that early, let that get to maturity and see what happens really. But the other part of that is too, is it is breaking up uh, my my summer cover crop to where in years past I would just do straight buckwheat. This year I want to mix it up a little bit as well, kind of mix up some of those nutrients that may go back into the soil when I go to plant my fall crop. So if you're looking at some of those some of the varieties of plants that you typically like to plant 
take a look at some of the other plants that may be available in that same seed family. And you can actually do a little bit, you know, price checking and see if you can save a little bit of money by picking one type of plant over another. You know, one good example would be if you're looking at like peas. So you got the Australian winter peas, you know, those come with a premium in comparison to just regular field peas. Are they still going to be attractive and still are deer going to desire them? Most definitely. You know, I've gone to this is typical field pea and, you know, basically when I walk the food plot, basically kind of, you know, mid season, most of those pea plants have already been hammered and eaten up. So it's definitely something that is not going to, you know, at least in my regard, it's not a noticeable difference of how, you know, if you plant a different type of pea or a different type of brassica that the deer aren't going to come in and eat from your food plot. More than likely, they're still going to be there. It's still going to be the best, you know, food source in comparison to what they can find out in the wild. So it's still going to have a, a heavy draw to it. And one of the last things I'm going to talk about, about saving on your food plot stuff is don't pay for the packaging. And what I mean by that is, you know, look at the type of seeds that are in some of these name brand food plot companies or, um, you know, stuff that you find in the retail, retail stores and really pay attention to the breakdown of what type of seeds are going into them and kind of the breakdown of percentage wise. You know, I really was hoping to go with a, a, a different brand last year where they had a kind of like a diversity blend type of seeds, basically partnered with a group of guys that I listened to their podcast and, you know, I wanted to give their seed a try. But two things with that. One, they didn't have, you know, basically they were a smaller company, so they didn't have um, have their, their that brand of seed anywhere nearby. There's one dealer downstate down towards the base of the state here. So it would have been one of those things where you put in an order, have to either have it shipped up or go down there and grab it. So that wasn't that big of a deal of going down there. But the other thing was, you know, I'm just looking at for how much seed I was needing or how much area I needed to cover, it was gonna be pretty pricey. So then I started looking at, okay, how can I make this cheaper? So I ended up kind of looking at the types of variety of plants that were in that blend that I was looking for and basically went to the local seed and feed store and kind of built my own, kind of looking at those those different types of plants that were in it, matching up what I could, supplementing or substituting certain ones that you know they didn't have necessarily. But again, that goes into kind of knowing those plant families of knowing you know what you can and what you can't supplement out based on the type of plant varieties. And ultimately, by doing that, I ended up saving probably about 50% of the cost on those seeds. So it ended up costing me half of what it would have if I would have gone with that company. So that's one thing that you might want to do is do a little bit more research and dig into, you know, if you're looking at planting food plants this year, uh, kind of coming up with a plan and finding a dealer or a supplier for those seeds um, that can save you some money going forward. And then, especially as, you know, the end of the season, there's, you know, there's a big change over on the different types of products that manufacturers are coming out with. You know, it's kind of their off season. You know, they get back towards the end of the season where they do like the big ATA show where a lot of the, a lot of the 
Hutton Industry Manufacturers kind of give a sneak preview of what products they have coming out here shortly or for the next year essentially. So it really dives into looking at gear too. So looking at gear prep. So one of the things I did was having tried, you know, saddle hunting for the first time this past year. You know, it was kind of a learning curve of kind of what what gear I needed, how to pack everything up, you know, what ultimately, you know, deciding on what to bring and what I can leave back in the tote. One thing I was doing going forward this year as well is kind of looking at the gear that I ultimately end up using or stuff that I would routinely pull out of the pack to use or stuff that has stayed in the pack the whole time and I never really use. Looking at that type of stuff, you can kind of decide, okay, I never really use this, you know, particular product or piece of gear throughout the season. I can take that on my pack, lighten everything up, make room for more stuff that I could actually use. And then looking at, you know, products that you maybe want to get for the upcoming season. So if you're looking at getting some more trail cameras, if you're into getting a new bow every year, or if you're looking to upgrade your bow or new arrows, that type of equipment, one big one is certainly for if you're looking for guns or ammo. <laughs> There's no time like the present when it comes to finding your next firearm or stocking up on your ammunition. Now I've, I know of several stories from guys last year where you know they thought they had more ammunition than they did, or you know they were thinking that oh I need to go pick some up and made it to the store and sure enough they were sold out of in the and no one had any ammunition available. So I talked about this before as well, but you know, make sure that you get your ammunition well in advance. That way you're not panicking when it comes closer to the rifle season. So and that's just kind of what been on my mind. I kind of want to share that of give give you some things to think about as well, you know, as as we start getting into closer to springtime, you know, a lot of this stuff's going to get ramped up pretty quickly and, you know, it's going to be hunting season again before we know it. So, so I'm really going into the season with a good plan and being well prepared. Uh, that's certainly one of my goals for this year is to, you know, have plenty of areas scouted out, repeatedly scouting areas um, of interest to ensure that, that those areas are good areas that I want to target this year making sure that you know I've got everything in line for doing food plots and my habitat work on the private ground and making sure that I'm cost effective with it making sure that I've got all what I've got planned for new gear for this upcoming year I start looking at that researching it and making sure I've got it ahead of time to be able to test it and use it and get familiarized with it as well and then ultimately swinging all the way back around to enjoying the activities that are available for the time of year you know again this year i've really focused on doing a lot more ice fishing again the kids and i have been having a blast with it i've tried and gone out squirrel hunting a few times you know it's one of those things that every time i go out not planning on squirrel hunting and may and not even bringing along the the 22 or shotgun or anything like that that's when i see them of course so it's always frustrating or kind of funny dealing with that situation but then there's plenty of other things, you know, especially here in Michigan, we live in a beautiful state with plenty of things to do on the outdoors. You know, even if it's just going out for a hike or snowshoeing or cross country skiing or hitting the slope, and then it'll be time to really just get into it. 
know, I'll be getting into doing my habitat work here and then having to get the boat turned back over and ready to go to get the kids out fishing this summer. So, so again, it comes down to it that there's plenty of stuff to do out there to where, you know, I'll say it again, you know, if someone says, you know, enjoying the off season, you know, really, if you're, if you're really into it, there is no off season. So really two things on, I guess to wrap it up, make sure that you're prepared and taking the steps necessary to get yourself ready for the next season. And also don't forget to actually enjoy uh, the outdoors and take advantage of the resources that are out there. And with that, I will say it as always, get out there, be safe and have fun.